These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources in partnership with the Nebraska Rural Radio Association. Promotional support provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine and partial funding provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Welcome to this week's edition of Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Thanks for being with us today. Coming up on the show, we'll explore an exciting Nebraska-born product that might just change the way that we look at liquid fertilizers. As we approach the end of 2023, we'll get some market insights with Kyle Bumstead as he breaks down the latest trends and factors that are shaping the trade. Plus, what should young or newer ag producers be focused on in 2024? We're going to answer that question coming up here in a few moments. But first, let's kick it off with this story. When you hear the term NASA, places like Houston, Texas, or the Kennedy Space Center in Florida might come to your mind. Yet destinations like Nebraska hold their own charm. Market Journal's Mike Straub had this fascinating sit-down conversation with a NASA scientist to explore how NASA aims to tap into the potential of the heartland. NASA is well known for the strides they've made in space exploration. However, some of their best work has been more of a terrestrial focus, specifically the Earth Science Division located at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Last month, Division Director for Mission Planning, Dr. Robert Swap, was given a presentation on the South African Regional Science Initiative, better known as Safari 2000. This was a great segue into how NASA hopes to harness the heartland. One of the things that uh, myself and a number of other colli uh, colleagues have been working on is how can we work to engage with the expertise in the heartland realizing we don't know and that people in the heartland do know and how can we work together uh, to bring together to bring together the best pieces of what we both have to offer so in nasa earth sciences we are really strong at innovation exploration uh, cutting edge stuff however people who live and work here are experts uh, regarding the way that they work the land, they understand the land, uh, they manage the land, and I believe that uh, in many ways we complement each other well. From groundbreaking research to a thriving extension system, when you're talking about available data and a good working relationship with agricultural producers around the state, Dr. Swap told us working in conjunction with the University of Nebraska system would be instrumental in working toward the goals of harnessing the heartland. Nebraska is extremely strong in their extension uh, activities. Uh, they're working with uh, those who work the land. Uh, their understanding of the landscapes, the land-atmosphere interactions. Um, I mean, 130 years of uh, soil moisture data. Uh, I mean, groundwater data. Uh, multiple different types of ecosystems that they've mastered and have a un unique understanding with of and in many ways working with them where they have that ground truth from the ground to nose height 
and we can work with them to go from nose height to satellite. And we see them as key, key uh, partners, whether it be on the science side, the ag side, the natural resource side, or on the, the medical uh, services side as well. So we're really excited in many ways, Nebraska and the University of Nebraska system um, represents almost like one-stop shopping, if you will, kind of like the large intellectual Costco in the sense that we can come in here and you have expertise of all these different flavors. And more importantly, you, you work together and you have a can-do spirit and get stuff done. And I think that's essential for the success of this, this concept of harnessing the heartland. Drought has played a huge part in cropping systems across Nebraska and much of the western United States. Over the last couple years, when it comes to these kind of studies, Dr. Swap knows that input from everyone will play an important role in the success of any given mission. In a sense, this is a perfect opportunity to think globally by acting locally. And the notion is that we're trying, we're in the middle of a scoping study, and we're looking to engage with uh, stakeholders, and those stakeholders are everybody from, you know, scientists and people who design satellites all the way down to the folks who actually have to live with that information, the farmers, the range, uh, rangelands, uh, tribal communities, uh, folks that are living off the land. And we're pulling together and working through stakeholder engagement right now to listen to the express needs. What are people most concerned about? And um, I think it's important to stress that the time is now. If people have thoughts, comments, or would like to learn more, we are hoping that folks would reach out sooner and share their thoughts, ask their questions, if they're willing to, now's the time. It's an open invitation for people to get involved. I mention that because, you know, if you're not at the table when these things are decided, you often end up on the menu. So what I'd really like to do is those folks that have some ideas and interests, please feel free to reach out to ourselves or to our colleagues at the University of Nebraska. Eric Hunt is a good point of contact and uh, we'll be be sure to get that information to you, and, and we look forward to any dialogues that might arise. As data is collected and analyzed over the next several years, NASA and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln will continue to work towards harnessing the heartland, making life here on Earth a bit better every day. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Mike Straub. Thanks for that story, Mike. We do appreciate it. For those eager to delve a bit deeper into the research, you can explore a recent seminar that he conducted at UNL's East Campus last month. We made it convenient for you to find that link. We've posted it over on the Market Journal website right alongside this story. Well, 2023 was quite the roller coaster ride here in the agriculture industry, and there's no doubt that 2024 will have its own set of surprises for us. At this year's National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention, we caught up with a grain analyst who shared some insights for new and young ag producers as we gear up for the upcoming new year. Joining us now at the NAFB convention is Cody Barilla. He is with Terrain. He's a, one of the grain analysts as part of that team. Cody, we appreciate the time. As we look broadly at the U.S. economy and all the things happening, there's a lot of changing dynamics, especially as we look toward 2024. What are some of the things you're keeping an eye on that we should uh, be sharing with our producers today? Yeah, especially when you think about the young and beginning producers out there. 
we're moving from a period of relatively great margins, high prices into one where some of these costs and expenses have stayed fairly sticky. You look at machinery expense, seed expense continues to go up, labor expense, very expensive, and then you tack on interest rate now. So we have this margin compressed environment as commodity prices continue to slide. And when I think about giving um, advice and talking to our farm credit customers, especially our young and beginning farm credit customers, I like to boil it into three topics. And the first one is look at these purchase decisions and these large decisions you're making through the 2019 version of yourself. The second one is we're managing margins, not prices. And the third one is what is your comparative advantage? So going back to that first topic, look, looking at these decisions through the 2019 version of yourself. So all farmers remember $4 corn, very difficult times. And when we get to the end of the year and we're making all of these term payments, would that version of you want to take on this additional expense right now? Or would you want to add these marginal acres? So we as farmers have a habit of liking to hit the highs of the markets. We want to get as much out of that corn as we possibly can. And from a young and beginning farmer perspective, without the liquidity and balance sheet um, strength, it's important to focus on margins not prices. So starting with that cost of production number, having a really good feel for where you're at there, and then let's set some goals for what type of returns do we want on a per acre basis or a return on investment level. And from there we can take very robotic, precise timing on our pricing of those grains. I think that's going to set producers up for success. And you look at 2023 as an example, the producers that did that are very happy they did at this point in the year. But it's one of those uh, objectives that works year in, year out. And then the third thing, look at your comparative advantage. So when you think of your own farming operation, where do you excel compared to your peers? Are you a low cost producer because you can work on your own equipment? Are you um, an expert at bookkeeping and financial acumen? Are you able to keep records of the low carbon intensity grain that you produce and can market that at a higher level. So adding additional revenue to the operation and one way we've looked at that is through a topic of monetizing conservation. So we do look forward to 2024. What's one thing on the horizon you think producers might not be looking at right now but they should be focusing on? 45Z tax credits. That is a uh, tax credit to ethanol plants and biofuel plants on low carbon intensity corn. The rules are still being developed, but that will be in place um, in 2025, so January 1st of 2025. So the grain we raise here in 2024 is eligible for that tax credit. And the rules are still being developed, so it's difficult to say, but I think there can be substantial revenue opportunities if one were to have the traceability and could verify that that is low carbon intensity grain. And that actually pairs really well into the conservation programs we talked about. So those farmers that are growing cover crops, they reduce the carbon intensity of that score. Same with no-till and some of those other things. 
Thanks again to Cody for taking the time to sit down with us down there in Kansas City as part of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Good to visit with him. Up next, let's talk grain and livestock markets. Joining in the broadcast is Kyle Bumstead. Kyle, happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you too, Bryce. Let's talk about the grain markets to start with. Corn and soybeans, how do you see those markets? Well, that's a good question here. Middle of the week, we took out major support here on the corn market here. We uh, dropped below that 470 and a half area on the uh, March contract. That was that low that we needed to hold. We uh, closed that day at 469 and three quarters. Now, uh, next area on the chart, we dropped underneath round number 470. It's obviously gonna be 460, 455 is a, a number that I have. And long-term, the way it's acting, could be down in the 430s. So uh, not to sound real bearish, but uh, the market's not giving you much bullish news right now. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk of farmers not selling, but there's still plenty of grain moving. It's dry, the winter's good, and people are gonna need some money after the first year here. So I think those bend doors are gonna get cracked open and the commercials know it. Now, uh, soybeans, same kind of situation here, middle of the week. There's a little bit more friendliness out there long-term in the soybeans, judging by that uh, May-July bean spread. But uh, up front here, we did take out some technical support here on that 200-day moving average and closed below it here, middle of the week. So. Um, you know, the case of the bullishness in corn, we saw a previous week here that the uh, non-commercial funds had uh, covered some shorts here, and it looks like they're adding back to those shorts here as we uh, as we move through the middle of this week here before Christmas. Soybeans here, they still had a little bit of length there, and it looks like middle of the week they were pairing back some of that length. Okay, on the soybean front, of course, a lot of eyes on South America this time of year. Also, on the, uh, the, the flash sales, see what's happening when it comes to demand uh, in particular leaving the country. What are you seeing on those uh, two fronts, Kyle? Well, I know there's been a lot of talk already with Mexico and them shutting the railroad corridors down down there, but um, anybody who's ever dealt with the railroad knows that the railroad's not gonna let that happen very long. The railroad's gonna win. So I don't look for these corridors to be shut down very long as far as the rail for the corn situation. But the bean situation here, we've seen flash sales here. We didn't see any here uh, middle of the week like a lot of people are anticipating here Wednesday morning. Uh, based off what we had seen uh, the previous sessions here and, and what it looked like there was some bull spreading going on. Looks like there was some of the uh, front month was gaining on the deferred contracts. I mean, even though we were down uh, Jan beans, of course, they're going in delivery here at the end of the month, but March beans were down six and three quarter cents and the deferred contracts weren't down, were down a little bit more than that. So uh, looking out long term here, there's still an issue here in South America with the weather. Based off that May-July soybean spread at a five and a half cent carry, that tells me that uh, the commercials are trying to get some coverage out there in that July contract or the May contract versus July contract because that's kind of when they're going to be harvesting in South America. And there's still a bit of concern down there with the dryness that they're having. And uh, you can also see that with some of the basis push you've seen here with soybeans here uh, locally. We've seen uh, the basis improve nationally here against that March contract, which that's gonna be our lead contract, our cash contract here soon. So uh, we've been watching that March contract for the basis. The basis has been improving. So it tells me that they're uh, trying to go to the cash market and source to get soybeans for that export market. All right, I appreciate the overview on that, Kyle. Let's talk live livestock, shall we? You told me it comes to cattle markets, anybody's guess. Let's get your thoughts on that. A very good question. We've been beat up really hard in this cattle complex since the last time we talked. Since the middle of September, we've uh, we were down uh, almost $56 in feeders from the highs to the low there. Uh, middle of the week here, we got back up here to the uh, mid 225s, 224, 225. Now feeder cattle sales this time of year, a lot of a uh, lot of sale barns are done with feeder sales. There's going to be a few here and there, but. Uh, the majority of your feeder cattle sales are done for the year until we get back from New Year's holiday. There's going to be some special sales and the feeders really going to start coming to town after that for folks that have had to hold for tax reasons and, uh, you know, cash flow purposes. But uh, looking here at the live cattle situation here, 
of these funds, these non-commercials, they pared down their length here. I think last uh, Friday when the report came out, they were long like 20 some odd thousand contracts. And it looked like to me, there was just basically a little bit of uh, uh, today midweek, there was a little bit of adding back or, you know, adding back a few longs, not a lot of commercial interest here, but speaking of commercial interest here, we did see uh, middle middle of the week here. We started with some cash trade, uh, 170 here in Central Nebraska. That's going to majors, and those are shipping uh, Christmas uh, Christmas Day that, that night. They're going to be shipping those cattle out. Uh, there's been a lot of folks holding out for 171. I think that's potential they could get that here. Uh, we haven't seen any uh, cash trade in the south here, but I'm looking for most of the cash trade this week to be steady at worst, maybe a little bit better. And looking at uh, some of the historicals, I look for cash to be better next week, the week after Christmas. The week between Christmas and New Year's, historically, cash is better that week than the week leading up to Christmas. So also uh, uh, interesting to note, too, that the first quarter of the following year, uh, cash has always been better or had a higher average than the fourth quarter of the previous year. So I'm looking for the cash market to slowly grind higher as we work into 2024. Now, based off those spreads that I talk about, we've got February uh, $3.50 under April, and we've got December under uh, February right now. But what it tells me is right now we've got a weight issue out there. We've got plenty of cattle here short term. Uh, as based off some of these uh, fictitious government cattle on feed reports that we've seen here the last few months where, you know, they said, hey, there, you know, there's less cattle, there's less cattle, but obviously the market's saying there's plenty of cattle right now up front short term here. And it looks like that based off the market as far as the cash market and the spreads, we've got some uh, inventory here to work through. And I know last week there were some cattle bought with time on them. Some of those cattle don't ship until the middle of January that were bought last week. So we do have some cattle. Packers got a little bit of inventory around them, but I do think that once we turn after the first year, things could start to you know work back in the cattle feeders' favor here. And uh, we, we do uh, we still haven't seen any of those great big snowstorms that have moved through here as far as Kansas, Texas, uh, you know, and even here in central Nebraska that could take pounds off. So, you know, it's been a good winter for feeding cattle. You just go look at them and they're gaining three and a half to four pounds, it seems. Good stuff as always with Kyle. We appreciate him joining us here on the broadcast this week. Earlier in the program, we talked a bit about some of the challenges for new or beginning farmers and ranchers. Working to build an operation of your own or even work into an existing one can certainly bring on some frustrating times, but there are some tools out there to make it a bit easier for this group of producers. In the latest issue of the Nebraska Farmer, you can read about some of the opportunities awaiting beginning farmers and ranchers. Up next, we check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, a lot of folks going to be hitting the road this weekend for some holiday travel. Are you see anything out there that might get in their way? Well, thanks, Bryce. Yes, sir. Actually, there is a substance that we are paying attention to, and hopefully you guys are too. Uh, so what I am confident right now is the storm system will be moving from California into the central U.S. Uh, on Christmas Eve. And I'm quite confident of moisture across the eastern portion of Nebraska in the form of rain and some snow in western Nebraska on Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. Uh, we are looking potentially at uh, at least a half inch and maybe upwards of two inches of rain across portions of eastern Nebraska. There is still a lot of uncertainty with the storm system, though, uh, in terms of strength and uh, terms of, you know, kind of overall placement. So the European model is stronger and slower with the storm system. The GFS is quite a bit quicker with it and a little bit weaker. So if the European model ver uh, solution verifies, uh, there will be quite a bit of snow into central Nebraska uh, with also potential for some icing on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning from Valentine uh, down toward Kearney. Again, that's not a guarantee, but I think that's something to watch out for. And again, if this does verify, we will probably be picking up at least an inch and a half of rain across most of eastern Nebraska and potential for six to 10 inches of snow across uh, portions of west central and central Nebraska. Panhandle looks more like a, probably a safe one to three, maybe four inches uh, for you. 
Uh, again, I just keep a close eye on this. This could have a major impact on travel as we head into Christmas Day and the day after Christmas. As we head to later portion next week, we're looking at uh, a strengthening of the Pacific jet uh, heading into California. So that will be producing uh, quite a bit of precipitation. So if you're heading out to California later next week, they're probably going to get hammered with rain. And it'll be interesting to see if this actually starts moving into the central U.S. as we head into uh, the first part of January. Later next week, though, our area looks like we should be relatively dry, although I imagine it's probably going to be relatively cloudy, uh, especially in the eastern half of the state for most of next week. Um, still above average temperatures for this time of year. Uh, I don't think we're going to be as mild as we have been this previous week. And again, there's a chance, particularly if we do get a good bit of snowfall across portions of western and central Nebraska, that we will see some pretty cold overnight temperatures, maybe some sub-zero temperatures uh, if we do have a, a good bit of snow cover, some clear skies. And I think our high temperatures are probably going to be uh, probably at least 10 degrees cooler for most of next week than they've been this week, uh, which still would put us a little bit above average for this time of year. Uh, in terms of drought uh, monitor, we did see a little bit of improvement on the drought monitor across portions of York and Hamilton County. Uh, again, so it's still very bad. That's still extreme drought, but at least it's not exceptional drought. Uh, and for Hamilton and York County, it's the first time that you've been out of exceptional drought for quite a while. Uh, we got this because we did get some decent precipitation across this portion of state last week. Broad one to one and a quarter inches, maybe in some inch and a half totals kind of down near Superior. Eastern Nebraska generally picked up a quarter to half inch of moisture. Uh, light amounts in western Nebraska or almost nothing. Uh, but again, a lot of that went in because soil temperatures are still relatively warm for this time of year, uh, generally in the mid-30s. Uh, so again, this rain that is coming in this week will be generally going in the ground. Uh, so if we do get two inches of rain, the ground will hold it, which is great news. Uh, usually this time of year, for two-inch rain will certainly not all go in the ground. Soil moisture, again, as it's been for most of fall, uh, lowest percentiles in the southeast uh, and kind of also in the southwestern portion of the state, generally fairly good across north-central Nebraska. Uh, again, I think we could make some significant improvements with this map as we head into next week. Uh, it has been a relatively warm month, uh, not quite necessarily record warm for most places, but generally above average. This is relatively typical of an El Nino winter, uh, certainly an El Nino December. Uh, and again, this has just been very warm. Uh, we have a lack of snow cover, so the Grinch has been pretty happy with, uh, with this. There's uh, almost no snow anywhere in the U.S. other than uh, some mountainous regions. And by the way, we are a little bit below average on snowfall uh, snowpack of the northern Rockies. Thanks, and back to you, Bryce. Hope everybody has a happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Okay, thank you for that update, Eric. We will certainly pay attention as that system makes its way through the area. Finally today, we've seen a number of great American companies get their start in garages, and here might be another potential one to add to that list. During this year's Husker Harvest Days, we encountered a local agronomist who might have uncovered what some of the industry consider the future of liquid fertilizers. Enter NitroMag, a new product currently undergoing some trials on farms across Nebraska. We had the chance to sit down with NitroMag's creator at his home in New York, where he revealed the fascinating journey of how this idea took shape. A lot of the research that he came across said that the urea amine-based form of nitrogen would be uh, more beneficial to the plant. Recently, in GMCO Growth Technologies introduced uh, a Nebraska-born product called NitroMag to the agricultural world. The potential benefits of this product are very exciting for creator Mark Dennis and is currently being tested by some of the top farmers across Nebraska. And it all started with a man, his garage, and his wife's blender. Years and years ago, I came across a product that was used in the industry, uh, not ag industry, it was used in uh, uh, commercial uh, industries as far as uh, de-icers and uh, dust control. 
did that job very well. And, but I started to cross it over in using it because it was relatively inexpensive and it had a, uh, uh, a good level of several other nutrients in it, but mainly I was after the mag. So earlier in my career, I had worked with liquid uh, ureas and things and how to convert those. And I thought, well, if I take this and this and mix them together, I wonder if that would hold up. Well, that was the aha moment. So I scurried around and got the raw ingredients. And uh, as the story goes, I went in and grabbed my wife's blender off the shelf, off the counter, came out and mixed it up. And then I just waited because I knew it was going to, it wasn't going to explode, but it was going to make a mess if it didn't work. Well, it did work. It, it stayed in solution beautifully. And then I put it in the, the beer fridge and I had it. Uh, then I put it in the freezer overnight and I kept watching it and it never separated. It never, it never fell out. It never uh, crystallized. It just, it was a great product. During his experimentation, Mark reached out to GMCO Growth Technologies to purchase large quantities of magnesium chloride. Naturally, after several shipments were delivered, the folks over at GMCO got very curious as to how he was utilizing this product. And a new partnership was born. I had been buying this mag chloride from uh, this GMCO uh, for quite a few years. And they'd sell it to me by the semi-load. Finally, one day, uh, they called me and said, what are you doing with that? And I said, well, I'm actually using it in agriculture. Well, then they sent a guy out and he interviewed me and he said, yeah, that's the future. Uh, and at that point, then uh, this thing took off. So we set up a temporary facility in Hastings and it made a perfect batch right off, right off, off the bat. So that's where it took off. And uh, right now we're putting in a, uh, uh, a big plant over west of Grand Island. They're putting in the tanks right now and, and building the production facility. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite a deal. Those, these guys have been wonderful to work with. While NitroMag isn't yet commercially available, the end goal for Mark and GMCO is to produce a product that contains essential nutrients that plants need at an affordable price in order to achieve higher yields for producers come harvest time. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd. Now, if you're interested in learning more about NitroMag or MGCO Growth Technologies, we've added a link to their website along with this story. You can find that over on the Market Journal homepage. Well, that about wraps up this week's program. If you did miss any stories, catch up with Market Journal by following along on our YouTube channel as well as our social media pages. Coming up next week, we'll be looking back and featuring some of our top stories from 2023 as we prepare to welcome in the new year. Thanks as always for tuning in. I hope to have you right back here with us next time. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.